Welcome to WLIWFM In Conversation, our special program that brings you dynamic voices from across our region and beyond. In this episode, our Metro Focus co-host, Jenna Flanagan, speaks to Dr. Francis Lee, psychiatrist-in-chief at New York Presbyterian Weill Cornell Medical Center and Youth Anxiety Center Research co-director, Dr. Anne Marie Albano, Professor of Medical Psychology in Psychiatry and Clinical Site Director of the Youth Anxiety Center, Columbia University Clinic for Anxiety and Related Disorders, and digital creator and political activist Amelie Zilber about mental health issues of today's young people and the Youth Anxiety Center. I'm Jenna Flanagan. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and tonight we're going to be looking at how the pandemic has affected the mental health of young people specifically. From adapting to virtual schooling, to missing important milestones like proms and graduations, to seeing loved ones getting sick, this has been an extremely challenging time to be a kid. It's not surprising that social distancing, isolation, and the constant threat of illness have taken its toll on young people, with rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide all on the rise compared to last year. So joining me now to discuss this alarming trend and what can be done to help our kids are two doctors from New York Presbyterian's Youth Anxiety Center. First, I'd like to introduce Dr. Anne-Marie Albano. Welcome to the program. Thank you. And up next, we are also joined by Dr. Francis Lee. Thank you so much. Very good to be here. And for a unique yet also incredibly important perspective, we're joined by a special guest tonight. That is digital creator and political activist, Amelie Zelber. Amelie, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to have this conversation with everyone. Of course, and we're so excited that you were able to join us. So before we get into deep into the medical side of things, Amelia, I actually want to start with you and just say that, you know, through your social media, you've been able to very bravely share some of the struggles that you've had over this past year, 14 months, et cetera. And I was wondering if you could share with our viewers, just how has the pandemic taken its toll just on you as a young person? Um, that's a really great question. I think a lot of young people can agree with what I'm about to say. Um, mental health has become a huge topic of conversation in circles amongst young people. So many of us have recognized that depression is very real and not a choice. So many of us have realized the same for anxiety and other mental health disorders. For myself, on a more personal level, I have always tended to be a bit of an anxious person, but the pandemic has multiplied my anxiety levels hundreds. I, um, as we can like grow a little bit more into normalcy, I find myself shaking when I leave the house and struggling to make conversations with others who don't live in my household um, and really just coming to terms with normalcy again. That's really been something that I've been struggling with and that my anxiety has collided with. Of course, of course. And I really just want to emphasize that while those are all issues that I think a lot of people might say, oh, well, I've been dealing with that too, that's going to be uniquely acute if you are a young person who's still developing your 
life skills, for lack of a better description. So, Dr. Albano, I wanted to bring you in and ask, um, how has the impact of the pandemic, how do you see it from a medical perspective, again, impacting people who are very much still in their developing phases? That's the question of the decade now and probably for many decades to come. And Amelie, I just want to say what you have just reported is what we're hearing from the young adults and the adolescents that we work with at our clinics. So the thing here is when we we're taking for granted as adults development. But if every adult listening tonight could just think back when we ask ourselves what was great about growing up, what did you most enjoy? It's the proms. It's the first dates. It is, you know, the new college admissions letter you got and finding out who your dorm mate is going to be, who your roommate's going to be. And these are things that have been taken away from the young adults and from the high school students who are emerging. And you can't minimize the impact of losing out on developmental milestones, things that actually shape the skills, the cognitive, emotional skills our physical health skills that are developing all the way through the age of like 25 to 30, which Dr. Lee can attest to. So they're losing a lot. And when you also think about it, put it in perspective, we're talking about living 20, 18, 20, 22 years of life. That's not a lot of time on this earth yet. So these are really important, not just because they are developmental skills, but because they're the most significant things happening to a young person. I'm 60. I've had other things happen along the way, and I know this is going to pass. It's not shaking me up so much, but it sure as heck is for young people. Well, Dr. Lee, I'd like to bring you in on just uh, that notion of this sort of lost year and just the critical time uh, that it's been lost for so many of younger yeah. people. I guess Gen Z might be the right term. Yes. So I think what uh, the neurobiological research has shown is this, this period of time during adolescence and young adulthood is the, like the last critical period the brain goes through in development. And it is essentially, and to go through an entire year of chronic stress is, is a tremendous impact on the brain. As you can imagine, the brain is still developing, as Dr. Albano says, until the age of 25. So you can imagine that during this period, this is going to have an enormous impact. This was not a one-off event. This was an, an entire year of dealing with uncertainty about one's own health, one's family's health, as well as economic, educational, and societal stresses. So this is something that is, it will obviously will, as you say, the mental health impacts will probably outlive the pandemic itself. I would have to say what I just want to sort of echo what Amelie has said, though, one of the few silver linings of the pandemic is that people are becoming much more aware of their own mental health symptoms and the need to actually get treatment sooner than later. You know, th th this is not some and they become much more aware that this can have sort of a, a snowball effect if not treated immediately. So I think this this increase in awareness, I think, is probably the one thing that hopefully we can get away, take away from this, especially among this group of, of adolescents and young adults. Yeah. You know, I do want to ask, because there tends to be, as with every generation, um, a bit of a friction point. And one of the things that I sometimes see with, say, um, definitely Gen X and boomers, et cetera, that they might judge Gen Z for is that, oh, they're, they're so focused on their mental health that they all have anxiety. And they sort of dismiss these uh, 
emotional or psychological conditions as sort of frivolous, and maybe some of them have considered it spoiled. So before we go forward, I just want the two doctors to address the uh, the very real impact that high levels of anxiety and that kind of stress can have on a developing personality and a developing brain. Dr. Lee, I'll start with you. So maybe I'll start first. Pre-pandemic, the rates of anxiety and depression among adolescents and young young adults was around 25 to 30%. And I think, first of all, that tells you this is a significantly high prevalence rate. And you can just imagine what, and the data are not in yet, but you can imagine that the rates of anxiety and depression have increased significantly this past year. What we do know from the data so far from the CDC and from other, or, other mental health organizations is, for example, suicide rates, especially among you know, uh, people from communities of color, have increased. So we already know already that this is having a very significant impact. And maybe an uneven impact, but still uh, an, an impact on many, many portions of our society, especially those that do not have possibly all the, the economic and, and so, uh, social uh, support systems in place to withstand this entire year. Dr. Dr. Albano? Albano? Yeah, the other thing that we have to bear in mind is that this is a time of self-focus, and it should be because this is the first period of life and time in life where you start making decisions for yourself and should be making decisions for yourself, where you want to go to school, who you want to spend your time with, who you're going to have romantic relationships with, and also asserting who you are as an individual. And so this has been affecting youth. And all of those things just normatively cause anxiety. Anxiety is normal. We need it. It it, it is an emotion that is inborn to us, and it helps us to be prepared to do things, take care of ourselves, and, and keep us from things that are dangerous when it works in our favor. But when you have such a protracted period like this of heightened anxiety, and Emily, as you said, the reemergence anxiety that's there, how do I get into the world now? What is the new normal going to look like? These things should be causing anxiety for everyone to a degree because that motivates us to do things and take care of things. Anxiety disorders are different. Depressive disorders, mood disorders are different. Mm -hmm. We have to watch because that interferes with functioning and it takes a young person off of their developmental track. But the good news at least is when adults are looking and saying they're so self-focused, no, they're self-aware and they're talking about it in a way that our generation and others didn't. They're owning this kind of stuff. They're decreasing stigma. And that is giving us hope that they will come out and get the help that they need that we can offer to them. Well, Amelie, I want to bring you back into the conversation because you know, one of the things I always try to stress on this program is that nothing happens inside of a vacuum. And so while all of these stressors and the impact of just the COVID-19 uh, pandemic has been exponential for everyone, There are other competing issues that I think younger generations who might feel as though they're, again, holding the bag, um, are going to also feel stressed about. And a lot of that came to surface last year. We had, of course, um, a lot of protests around racial inequity and racial justice. There is still the planet climate crisis that we're still dealing with. There's still so many other issues. And so from your perspective, and again, I realize you're not a spokesperson for everyone under 20, but from your perspective, uh, do those other issues, do they also factor into just the general 
Like, what is this world that we're coming into? A hundred percent. I cannot speak for communities of color. Um, I have heard experiences from friends who um, have felt a heaviness since uh, the protests and since all of the police brutality uh, conversations have become so dominant in in mainstream media, which is amazing. Um, It has left a lot of some of my good friends who are under the age of 20 feeling emotionally, I would say, drained. Um, I think that everything that's been going on on top of the pandemic makes young people feel a sense of hopelessness a little bit, um, but also in collision, a sense of hope that hopefully young people, because they have this greater awareness, can make concrete change. But speaking to the note of anxiety, um, one of my one of my best friends has really in this time period tried to discover herself and and create her own identity during this time period. And it's put her under a lot of emotional duress and anxiety. And as beautiful as self-identity is and finding your self-expression is, um, it's also been incredibly draining for her. Um, So I think on that note, I can speak a little bit to what my friends have shared with me. Mm -hmm. Um, Not my experiences at all, though. Of course, of course. For the doctors, again, um, when we're talking about the fact that it wasn't just COVID-19, I mean, even prior to, as I believe Dr. Lee mentioned, that there were already elevated rates of anxiety and stressors. uh, What are your concerns, I guess, for the long-term health of this next generation that will be eventually taking over the country? Dr. Albano. You know, one of the things one of the things I, I want us to, to understand, though, is in prior um, uh, traumatic periods of time here in the U.S. and also abroad in various cultures, resilience actually comes into play. And and actually, we expect the great majority of people of all ages to do well. Um, the thing that we need to be mindful of is doing well during this time means being able to connect with others, get support from others, being able to be flexible in the way you think about things, a little more creative or you know, work out of the box from usual in the way you're thinking and things that you do for yourself and such. So that's something to know. With that in mind, I think what we though look and see is that BIPOC kids, kids of color, LGBTQ kids, uh, immigrant kids, And those who come from disadvantaged uh, situations, whether there's um, abuse in the home, financial disadvantage, what have you, these are our kids at risk. And so I want everyone to think about those are the folks we have to focus a lot on and keep an eye on. And those are the ones that if you have friends, Amelie, and others here that you're listening who fall into these categories or those who just live alone or might be more quiet and shy, reach out to them because that the help that you extend of just a hello, how you doing by Zoom can make a huge difference for them over the long term. Well, that is that does seem to be something that I'm seeing quite frequently on social media is check in on your strong friend, for lack of a better description. But I do just want to further, um, I guess, explore this notion of resilience, because, again, sometimes the pushback that you hear from people who have more life experiences that, well, I lived through, you know, um, war or fan or something else that was incredibly traumatic. And we were able to come out of the other side and 
be okay. So is that something that you think uh, young people should be able to look to? Or is there perhaps a disconnect in understanding what the stressors are for young people now, as opposed to what they had been in the past? Dr. Lee, your thoughts? Yes. So I would have to say, I mean, this might be too early to say this, but the COVID-19 pandemic and the other sort of societal issues that came up during this period of time, I think the only other generation that that uh, faced this was probably World War II. People that lived, young people that lived through World War II. Nothing has been of this level of disaster and epidemic to this that has affected so many people. So I would have to say that that this is going to be the biggest resilience test, as as Dr. Albano has said. And again, in it, and I, what I would just want to echo what Dr. Albano says is that definitely reaching out and providing support is great for the person you're helping. But also the sheer act of helping others is probably the best coping mechanism you can have in order to actually get through. Because if you feel like you're giving towards a greater good and in somehow participating in the recovery that we all need to go through, then I think that so it's a reciprocal benefit. You're helping others and you're also providing some purpose and framework with which, as you say, to transition, as Amelie said, out of this pandemic. And I think that's so important. But I think we need to know that this was... You know, this is a big deal. You know, we, we haven't gone through something like this before. There's no prior precedent you know, to, to this level. And, and to be honest, what's interesting is it's actually not over yet. Yeah, so in many ways, we are trying to turn the corner and we want to start planning just as we all want to do in a very hopeful way. But it is there are there's still great uncertainty there. And as, as Dr. Obanimus says, you know, uh, uh, those of us that have been on the planet for more than half a century have developed many tools in our toolkit to cope with, you know, what the daily life stresses bring us. But if you're 15 to 25 year olds, you might have used all your tools already <laughs> at this point. And, and you just have to, you have to recharge in some way. Yeah. Amelie, I'm wondering, usually so many of these conversations, especially when it comes to uh, issues surrounding young people, it's a bunch of older people talking around or about, but rarely directly to. And so from your perspective, are there things that are or issues that are being missed or maybe not addressed in the most um, tangible way to younger people that are just being missed because, you know, not all of us are digitally or digital natives. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think part of this conversation is, is opening up my eyes to a lot. I think this conversation is very welcoming and, and warming. And I think that's beautiful because um, we're all of different ages and backgrounds um, and it's very comforting, but I think a large part of conversation that goes amiss um, on social media is the, the necessity of therapy for me, in my opinion, I feel like therapy is glamorized as something only for uh, people who can afford, like only for people who live in luxury. Um, and I think that there are not as many opportunities as there should be to young people for getting professional help. Um, I know that a lot of my friends are too scared to ask their parents or they financially can't afford something like that or really just therapy in general saying, oh, I go to therapy kind of has a negative connotation towards it. I'm very open about the fact that I think therapy is wonderful and amazing, but I do think that that is somewhere we can steer towards because it is a tangible way to better your mental health. 
Well, actually, Amelie, you bring up a very important point that I wanted to also get to, and that is the role that social media is also playing in the anxiety levels of young people. Um, it, For lack of a better description, whether we like it or not, it has become the new public square, and that is how a lot of people, particularly if you're younger and of a certain age, that's how you're meeting people, that's how you're engaging with them until you meet IRL in real life. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering, from your perspective, Amelie, was you know, social media and the digital spaces, were those able to sort of step in and create uh, a little bit more of the community that we weren't having in real life that sort of perhaps people were able to make it exist digitally? Definitely. I think that social media harbors feelings of community and identity. And I truly think that in itself is beautiful. These apps allow us to tap into a space where we can connect with people who have similar backgrounds, experiences, identities as we do. Um, and I think that during the pandemic, it's become an incredible vehicle towards positive self-expression. So I think that in itself has been amazing. I know that if I were to not have social media with me throughout this entire period, I would probably lose my mind. Um, but at the same time, however, I think that boundaries are really important when it comes to social media. There's something genuinely sweet about capturing, you know, special life moments and sharing them and making connections with people online. Um, but there really has to be balance because there's a lot of negativity on social media and there's a lot of comparison and there's a lot that can invade your personal energy. Um, and I just, um, you have to take notice and set boundaries of what invades your energy and what puts you in a negative headspace. And for me, that's the way that I perceive social media. And I think that a lot of people are starting to realize that social media has a really uh, two-sided effect on an individual. Dr. Albano, I saw you nodding your head a lot as Amelie was speaking. There's a lot in there that she was making some excellent points about. Yeah. And Amelie, I'm so grateful. You put it so eloquently and really to the point of what we try to help our um, young um, clients to understand is the balance and that, of course, you're looking at what is, you know, what people want you to see of them. Um, and that social comparison, especially for individuals who are prone to be more depressed or have more negative ideas or socially anxious, um, that we, they could get into a rabbit hole there. We actually, within the therapies we do, cognitive behavioral therapy, we teach our clients how to best use social media for themselves in a lot of ways and what to look for in terms of connections and groups to join and such. So thank you so much for everything you just said. Also, Amelie, I would just like to thank you for also helping this our great task of trying to destigmatize reaching out and getting help. As Dr. Albanos was saying, one of the best and most effective treatments for anxiety and depression is this form of treatment called cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think that Though it's a manualized version that can be done in a very time-limited manner. And we're doing research right now at the Youth Anxiety Center to make digital versions of it so that we could actually be able to not only provide it to those who want to come into the office, but so that we can expand access. And this is something we're still working on, but this is sort of the goal that we do want to try to expand the access of this, because I think ultimately raising awareness is great but you also have to be able to provide effective treatments once you become aware that you have symptoms that need to be addressed. 
Well, Dr. Lee, that's actually something I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on is uh, the kind of, and of course, Dr. Albano, you as well, the kind of work that it is that you're able to do with young people, because um, you're, while your titles are very impressive, uh, they aren't necessarily intuitive if you don't fully understand uh, medical titles. Yes. So I would have to say I, I'm an adult psychiatrist, but there's a group of psychiatrists and psychologists, the child and adolescent psychiatrists, there are only 8,000 of them in this country right now, which tells you something about the, if we have 25% of our adolescents and young adults having diagnosable anxiety disorder or depression, we do not have the workforce for that. And, and that what it suggests is we need to be able to leverage technology and other ways of sort of, of integrative models of healthcare uh, or in some way to basically be able to provide um, uh, services um, and treatment. And just the best example I would give is, is that um, if you came into the doctor's office with high blood pressure or sort of borderline diabetes, you would get treatment immediately and you would basically begin a regimen of lifestyle changes as well as, as maybe being on a medication. Um, if you wait 10 years before you get your first treatment, it'll be much more difficult to treat. This is exactly the same way to think about anxiety and depression. You want to treat it exactly at this time when the brain is most plastic and you and where the symptoms are hopefully mild and can be easily sort of overcomable. And then you will see the benefits of, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy. You will learn the tools that you need to sort of help yourself and, and basically be able to sort of take care of the mild symptoms and not deal with sort of moderate to severe symptoms if you wait and hope they go away. They don't go away, actually. They, you need to actually get them treated just the same way that all other medical conditions don't go away if you don't get treatment. The other thing is we've got to bring the treatments to where the youth are. Mm -hmm. College counseling centers and campuses, dormitories, fraternities and sororities, uh, community centers, you name it. Um, so we need to meet you there. And that's something yeah. else that we're working on. All right. Well, listen, I'd like to thank my entire panel of guests. Uh, Amelie Zelber, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, Dr. Francis Lee and Dr. Anne-Marie Albano. Really appreciate you guys joining me for this incredibly important conversation on a topic we really don't talk about enough. So thank you all. Thank, thank you so much. Know that you are not alone. Reaching out is the first step to getting help and being safe. If you or someone you know has thoughts of suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 and talk to a real caring human being who will listen and help. To learn more, please go to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention site for information about suicide prevention at AFSP.org. Thanks to WLIW Metro Focus co-host Jenna Flanagan in conversation with Dr. Francis Lee, psychiatrist-in-chief at New York Presbyterian Weill Cornell Medical Center and Youth Anxiety Center Research Co-Director Dr. Anne-Marie Albano, professor of medical psychology in psychiatry and clinical site director of the Youth Anxiety Center, Columbia University Clinic for Anxiety and Related Disorders, and 
digital creator and political activist Amelie Zilber about mental health issues of today's young people and the Youth Anxiety Center. Thanks for joining us for WLIW-FM In Conversation, our special program that brings you dynamic voices from across our region and beyond, and for supporting WLIW-FM, heard over the air at 88.3, streaming on your favorite apps, and online at WLIW.org radio.